Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we are talking about the state of the Raptors. We got Krishna producing, and we are talking to Vivek Jacob. Uh, You can find his work at raptors.com, CBC Sports, and the Locked on Raptors podcast. Uh, Vivek, how you doing and how you feeling about the state of the Raptors? I'm doing well. Uh, Just coming off a bit of a vacation, so fresh and ready to go for this season. Just catching up on some jet lag, but um, (laughs) I'll I'll be ready to go come opening night. Uh, all right, so the Raptors uh, are a pretty good team. Uh, they're a little bit different in the way that they're built because they don't have a bunch of super end, you know, high end star power. Uh, but I was digging into the data, and last year they had eight uh, above average defenders. They had zero dominant defenders on their team, but eight above average defenders. I've done some research. That was of one of the best totals I've ever seen in a team. What, what is it like to, to watch a team night in, night out with that kind of depth? I think it's really interesting looking back on last season because you had this young core that hadn't come to terms with Nick Nurse's demands within his defensive scheme. So players like Precious Achua and Scotty Barnes, who became really impactful in the second half of the season, uh, they made tons of mistakes in the first half. And then you had Pascal Siakam, who was coming off his shoulder surgery, so it took him a little while to get going uh, in the season. Chris Boucher had a nightmare start. And so what was fascinating about last season was you had these growing pains in the first half, and you were wondering, hey, is this team ever actually going to put it together, or is this going to be a full season of learning? And then all of a sudden... The second half, everyone seemed to understand what they needed to do. Uh, Everything fell into place. And you could see pretty much from December 31st, they were uh, a top 10 team defensively. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about Scotty Barnes first. Uh, Obviously, a rookie last year. People really excited about him. Uh, Two interesting stats. 99th percentile in our defensive positional versatility meaning guards a lot of positions, and then 99th percentile in our help defense activity. Um, whenever I see this guy, you know, in highlights on Twitter, he's just flying around. Um, <laughs> what, 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 if you were to give a, I don't know, a letter grade to this guy's motor, what would it be? Well, first off, you know, flying around is a, is a theme for the entire Raptors defense. So whether it's Scotty Barnes or Chris Boucher or Pascal Siakam, that's what you're going to see them do. Um, you know, obviously it's a very switch heavy defense. Um, Scotty Barnes, uh, I think he's someone who had to come to terms with the intensity level and the focus required at the NBA level for each and every possession. And so... You did see him at times uh, go through these lulls, go through these defensive lulls, offensive lulls, um, and then get it going at different times as well. That you'd see games where he'd have you know two points in the first half, and then all of a sudden he's got uh, you know a double double in the second half. And so I think defensively for him, uh, you know there were like a lot of X outs missed, um, a lot of you know switches that he was miscommunicating on and so those are the things that he was able to correct in the second half of the season that helped the Raptors become a better defensive team and I think as he continues to put that all together in terms of Nick Nurse's defensive schemes uh, the offense will come more naturally naturally to him as well because 
as we see with the Raptors defense, they like to force a lot of turnovers, get a lot of deflections and get out in transition. And in transition, Scotty is just a beast. Uh, let's talk about his, his offensive game. He talked about the transition, uh, really strong offensive rebounder for a wing, um, you know, finish well around the rim for a rookie season, but it was interesting. For, so we have offensive, uh, archetypes, which is basically like, you know, you can be a stationary shooter. You can be a, you know, a post up big. He was in the shot creator role as a rookie, which the shot creator role is like pretty much what you normally see like a superstar in. So mm-hmm. he was definitely, um, doing a lot of difficult things from like a shot taking and shot making standpoint. Uh, how do you see him progressing and w- what do you see uh, his future being as an offensive player? Well, again, one of the really interesting things that happened in the second half of the season was the fact that OG Ananobi missed so much time through injury. Fred Van Vliet was a shell of himself, only played 15 games after the All-Star break, and he only shot 29% from three uh, after that point. And so the Raptors relied on Scotty Barnes more heavily for uh, playmaking, and then they were able to put him in positions where he was in mismatches and taking advantage in the post. And the thing that was really impressive was that even when he wasn't getting mismatches, there were possessions that you can look back on and he's posting up DeMontis a bonus and getting to the basket. And, and that level of strength, wow. that level of poise around the basket to finish um, is what really, really impressed me. And I think it's the in-between stuff. It's the mid-range stuff and continuing to extend his range as a shooter that will determine his ceiling uh, as a scorer. But what he's able to do in the post, I mean, you could see him go to a left-handed hook with comfort. And that's, that's just not something you expect from a rookie. And so those are the types of things that he has uh, in his bag, uh, so to speak uh, already, but it's extending beyond that, you know, that, post uh, area that's really going to define his ceiling offensively. Uh, Let's talk about Siakam for a second. He's a player Mm -hmm. that I've always found interesting because he's always had two uh, good two way value in our numbers uh, in LeBron. Uh, And he's really been a a solid player. So we have our LeBron, which is like how efficient you are, like per 100 possessions. And then Mm -hmm. we also have LeBron war, which, you know, adds up sort of like baseball war. And he's a guy that, uh, whenever I see like, you know, like your, the rankings for player, like top 100 rankings, things like that, he's always a guy that, uh, especially when I'm doing my own, I, I always end up having to push him up further just because that LeBron war, like the value he is giving you season in, season out is quite high. Um, I, I don't know, he because like for me, right on paper, when you match him up against really, really other high end players, sometimes there's other like skill sets or player types I prefer. But just from mm-hmm. like a pure, it's sort of like a in a weird way, sort of a Jimmy Butler thing where it's like on paper, it's not the most ideal player, but like the production on the court is quite good. It's better than like almost you'd expect. Um, so what are your kind of what are your thoughts on him? Pascal, I thought made a huge leap as the guy. I think that's the one thing that people have been using as a measuring stick for him. It's after Kawhi Leonard left, he has been assigned the responsibility of being the franchise player and he had to evolve into a different type of player. And, you know, when during that championship season where he was so good, won the most improved player, was the second leading scorer during the playoffs, he was 
an advantage benefactor. And so Kyle Lowry, Kawhi Leonard, they create the advantages and then he took advantage. After that, he's had to become the advantage creator. And so one of the biggest measures of improvement that I've seen is that three to 10 foot range, that 10 to 16 foot range where if opposing teams are taking away the basket where he's so great, where he shoots around 70% for his career, what does he go to? And so what was really impressive for me was he shot 38% from three to 10 feet in 2019-20. And so that was identified as an area for growth. And this past season, he shot 49.8%. And then you look at the 10 to 16 foot range as well. He was at 32.9% in 2019-20, that first season as, you know, the quote unquote guy. And this season he got this past season, he got it up to 44.7%. And so those are huge improvements in being able to take what the defense gives you and saying, okay, they've walled off the paint. Um, this team that he's playing on doesn't quite have the spacing uh, that would be ideal for him. And he's able to pull up and knock down that mid range shot now. And so the next thing I'd like to see is the three point shot. And, you know, he's very good from the corners. He shot 48% on corner threes last season. Uh, but pretty much since he's been in the NBA, all but one season, he's been at 32% or below on non corner threes. And so can he get to a point where that is a part of his game, a dependable part of his game, and will make him that much more difficult to guard in screening actions? Yeah, he took a pretty big jump in our on-ball shot making, which is shooting adjusted for difficulty. And then his mid-range pull-up talent uh, entered like near elite territory last year. That, that was something that really popped out in the numbers. Um, and yeah, like like you said, got kind of going from you know finishing plays to now being kind of the creator. Um, you know, the skill sets that you mentioned, definitely it shows in the data that those things are improving. So that's definitely a good sign. Uh, let's talk about Fred Van Vliet. Uh, he had another really solid year in our LeBron war. I remember the first half of the season, there was that big push to make the all-star game. He was Mm -hmm. shooting really, really well. Uh, his mid range pull-up talent also, uh, went from a C to an A last season, which was really great. And then his passing versatility took a huge jump. It was like 76 percentile all the way up to 96 percentile. Uh, you know, you talked about the injury in the second half, but in the first half, it looked like he was playing with his hair on fire. It was ridiculous what he was doing because you have to remember again that Pascal Siakam was coming off uh, the torn labrum surgery. And so he missed uh, the first, you know, the first few weeks of the season. And then he really uh, needed some time to get to find a rhythm. And all, the whole time Fred Van Vliet, uh, it was holding down the fort and making this huge all-star push, putting up huge numbers. And the great thing about him is no matter what he's giving you offensively, he's giving you just as much on the defensive end. And uh, I, I honestly believe is if he would have remained healthy in the second half of the season, he would have made an all-defensive team. I, I think he's primed to make an all-defensive team uh, this season. And you know, with the responsibilities changing a bit with Scotty Barnes handling the ball more and whatnot, I do expect to see him in more catch and shoot uh, scenarios from three as well. And so I think that's going to help him uh, not only uh, alleviate the stress on his body, but get some easier scoring opportunities as well. One 
thing I do want to point out with Fred uh, as well is I think he's been pretty smart in recognizing that he's just not a good finisher at the rim. And so um, he has dramatically reduced the frequency. So going back to the 2019-20 season, uh, 31% of his shots came uh, within three feet. And last season, that was down to 9%. So I think he's kind of recognized that that's just not a strength in his game. You mentioned, uh, you know, his playmaking ability, his passing versatility. Uh, I think that's something that he has recognized now. It's like when he gets to the bucket, he is primarily looking to dish the ball out to the corners, to uh, players above the break to make something happen for other guys as opposed to, you know, trying to finish over the trees in there. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at Fred's defensive numbers. So our D LeBron is our overall defensive impact. Um, he's been very good the last three seasons. And if you uh, just sort by guards, uh, I you know, I think there's this thing, um, especially kind of, you know, hanging out in the analytics community for the last I don't know, year to two years. Uh, there's a thing where people look at height and there's there's so much. And there, I mean, there's there's been studies done on it where the taller you are, normally the better at defense you are. And Fred, not the tallest guy in the world, uh, but he is an extremely good defender. So if you just look at guard D LeBron. Uh, the last three years, he's 97th percentile, 97th percentile, mm -hmm. 93rd percentile. We're like, that's really, really high-end defense um, from a guy that's 6'1". And I don't know. I feel like sometimes people are really quick to write off people because they are not tall. And I'm like, well, you know, we got a larger population at 6'1", so you can really sort through some guys. And I, I think you can find some guys that can defend. And also, the shorter you are, the you know, ideally, like the quicker you are, the shorter your steps are, the more you know choppy you can make them. So um, I feel like there's just a, a really quick dismissal on shorter players where it's like, well, actually, that's the reason I like analytics. You look into the data and you're like, well, actually, this guy's defending at a really high level and has been for years. And I think the other thing with the Raptors, too, is he's maybe not a part of the sexiest part of their defense, which when everyone watches the Raptors, they're like, oh, wow, look at OG Ananobi and Siakam and Chris Boucher and Scotty Barnes and look at all these guys switching. But you've got Fred Van Vliet as the head of the snake who's maybe not as switchable, but he is an absolute nightmare defending on ball, getting his hands uh, into uh, the ball handler and creating all kinds of pressure uh, he's consistently at the top uh, of the leaderboards when it comes to deflections. Uh, and so I feel like he's such an important part of how Nick Nurse and the Raptors want to play defense. Uh, but I do think people get caught up in the sexier part of it, which is, you know, all those six, seven, six, eight, six, nine guys switching around all over the court. It is fun. I don't know why, but that like the, the Raptors are famous for, you know, having a lot of, you know, six, eight, six, nine guys and like the switchability for some reason is really fun to talk about that. But then every <laughs> once in a while, I'm like, wait, we haven't talked about Fred, who's like one of the best defenders on their team and in, in, in this whole conversation. So. Uh... Exactly. I mean, I think when you look at the Raptors as a whole, um, what he brings from a leadership perspective as well, like. Pascal Siakam is the best player on the team. No one is debating that. But Fred Van Vliet is the heart and soul of the team. And when you see him, you know, getting into the ball, helping create those softball passes, like, you know, he doesn't allow those fastballs 
with with passes and so that's what creates those deflections that w- that's what creates those run out opportunities for the raptors and so it's easy to get caught up in that again you know it's probably an og ananobi or a gary trent jr or a pascal siakam picking up that loose ball going down the court and dunking it but it starts with fred van vliet yeah uh let's talk about the best case scenario for this team uh how do you what is the best case scenario and then how do you see that playing out well, the best case scenario starts with Fred Van Vliet and OG Ananobi's health. I, I think if you can get Fred Van Vliet healthy for an entire season, uh, OG Ananobi only played 48 games last season. Um, he is arguably the best individual defender on the team. Precious Achua is going to have something to say about that this season. But if you can get uh, healthy seasons out of those two and then the newcomer as well Otto Porter Jr. I think could be an important addition for the Raptors bench if you if he can give you 60 games I don't think anyone is expecting too much more than that because of what his health has looked like over the course of his career um, and then you know the, you get somewhat of a leap from Scotty Barnes Precious Achua you know Pascal Siakam continuing to elevate his game I think the Raptors in a best case scenario can crack that top three. I think most people would understandably have Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly duking it out for those top three spots. But if everything goes right for Toronto, and we're talking about best case scenario, I think they can pip one of those teams to get into the top three. What's their best case scenario, do you think, for the playoffs? Because I feel like... um, you know, in the regular season, like they're going to be really good in the regular season. I'm just kind of curious where, like, could they be a conference finals team if everything goes right? Could they be in the finals? Could they win the whole thing? I mean, so. Yeah, I think I think if you believe that they can get to the conference finals, then at that stage, you're saying, why not get to the finals? Um, I would peg this team as a conference semifinals team currently. I think it would take... Um, Scotty Barnes absolutely being a fringe all-star, um, Pascal Siakam elevating his game, and Precious Achua being a borderline like most improved candidate for them to be like a conference finals team level. Um, but hey, those those are the things that people are, you know, saying is potentially a best case scenario. So again, if we're talking best case scenario, it exists. Um, but that's probably you know in you know the tenth percent of what might happen this coming season i think precious is a a really interesting player uh the sample size was really small his rookie season this was his sophomore season this past season Mm -hmm. uh but uh you know everything went up where it was like offensive and defensive rebounding improved in the metrics rim protection went up on ball defense catch and shoot three-point shot making uh where it was one of those things where i don't know if last season really cemented anything right but Mm -hmm. All the indicators were pointing up, and I feel like in year two, uh, that's really all you can ask for for a player um, that is a developmental guy like him that's very toolsy. And there's probably no one player who represents what the Raptors accomplished in their acceleration, their growth from the first half of the season to the second half of the season than Precious Achua. I mean... He had become this sort of, <laughs> you know, enemy of the of Raptors Twitter, where the first couple of months, 
he could do no right. I mean, the mistakes were all <laughs> over the place. Um, everyone wanted him benched. No one could see why he was playing. Um, and Nick Nurse has had this philosophy. The Raptors have had this philosophy where they are going to allow their guys to play through mistakes because they genuinely believe that the only way to get to that ultimate ceiling of a player is to have these growing pains and have them play out on court. And I think the perfect example uh, that highlighted this was when Serge Ibaka came over to Toronto and he never had a passing role before that. And, you know, when he was with OKC, it was pretty much, hey, if KD or Russ aren't able to create in those first 20 seconds of the shot clock, you might get it with a couple seconds left and you're going to put up a mid-range shot. Or, you know, or you're just screening for them constantly. And the Raptors putting put him in passing situations on the roll. And he made some terrible decisions. He made some terrible turnovers. And no one could understand why he was getting these opportunities. And as time went on, he kept making better decisions. And some of these passes now are all of a sudden blowing you away. And the Raptors really know how to be patient with their guys. If they genuinely feel that it's an aspect of a player's game that can be developed, then they will stick with it. And Precious Achua, whether it's uh, viewing him as an elite defender, whether it's viewing him as someone who can uh, take above the break threes, uh, they will continue to persist with those things. And now you see this possibility that Precious Ochua could, you know, if all goes right, be in that most improved player conversation. Yeah, I feel like uh, he, he's a great guy to wrap up on because I feel like he's one of the, the real players in the league where you're like, what is the ceiling on this guy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he is. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's good to hear from you where it's like there was because here's the thing, right? When you don't watch the team day in, day out, right? And then you just, you know, you see the metrics or you see the highlights. Sometimes you miss the growing pains, right? Which do exist with players, but like there is a reason you go through that process, right? Because the upside of like, hey, if you get this experience with the right coaching, the right practice, with the right buy-in and the right work ethic, uh, the the uh, fruit you're going to see from that can, can sometimes be pretty sweet. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But yeah, that's going to get us up to speed on the state of the Raptors. Uh, Vivek, thank you for joining us. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is at Vivek M. Jacob. That's V-I-V-E-K-M. Jacob. And then you got anything else to plug? Just my usual stuff at raptors.com, CBC Sports. Uh, I'll have a preview story going up. The Raptors play on October the 19th, so the story should be up on the 17th or the 18th, just looking at where they could stack up in the East and what their potential looks like. All right, fantastic. Uh, well, for Krishna, my name is Taylor, and thanks for joining us on this episode of the Basketball Index Podcast.